good afternoon, good evening. It is Friday the 25th of July 2014 as the year screams by us all. Um, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast. We are on episode number 42. If you never listened to episode, 40 number, no, episode number 41, um, go to our website or iTunes, listen to episode 41. We had a guest co-host Chelsea Plowright. And we interviewed Melanie Perkins, the CEO of Canva, which is the online app, um, doing really great things. I believe they they just raised some some extra money uh, this week, James, another three point five million dollars. Wow, that's a fair bit of money, particularly uh, from Australia. Well, I think uh, they I think there were two or three investors um, involved, and uh, they may have been American investors. I didn't. Uh, go deep into detail but um, I think they've got nearly nine million dollars to date I might be wrong I haven't checked it mm-hmm. properly but um, they obviously capitalizing on their growth and they they really trying to establish themselves um, so you know good for them great for the Australian startup scene and uh, I'm sure it's not the last that we've heard from Canva yeah no doing well very well so we have a terrific show coming up for you today. Um, as usual, we'll be covering some of the tech news that's happening. Always so much happening in the tech news. And we have a fantastic interview coming up later on in the show. I interviewed Barbara Gray, who is an analyst at Brady Capital Research. And Barbara Gray wrote an article called Social Capital, The Secret Behind Airbnb and Uber. And she um, published it on LinkedIn. And it's a fantastic article. I encourage you, if you listen to this podcast, then you have the opportunity to... Um, to read the the article you can uh, just uh, pause the podcast and read it it's quite a robust article a lot of food for thought um it's had 364,000 views and um so this article um covers a lot of interesting aspects um around uh, the social economy being companies like uber uh, airbnb etc and uh, we talked to um barbara um Um, earlier on last week I believe so we'll be coming to that later on in the show if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes please subscribe please rate us please tweet about us you can email us Um, we've received some tweets um, which is always um, terrific you can follow us at a monkey podcast let's get into the show Um, news this week James, uh, Facebook's quarterly earnings came out this week, which uh, the market always watches. Facebook becoming quickly one of the, the, the most important companies on the stock market. Um, and now they forced as the listed company to, as the listed company to push out their earnings uh, and all their details, all their dirty laundry every quarter. And um, have you ma- have managed to look at uh, any other numbers that came out this quarter? Yeah, I've been looking through them. It's, um, it's amazing how well they're doing. <laughs> Um, the per user earnings in particular seem incredible. Yes, yeah, so th- um, they turned over 2.9 billion in revenue, um, which in Australia we call turnover um, for the quarter, which was up on analysts' um, expectations. Um, importantly, 62% of that revenue came from mobile. Some other interesting um, metrics. Um, in total, Facebook now has 1.3 two billion monthly users and 829 million daily users or 63 percent of users returning each day that is a very big number yeah no that's that's crazy the mobile usage in particular is just uh, it's just astounding it's um i think it's like a third of people no longer um log in to the web version at all they just use it only on on the mobile um, and it's like I think 61% of their traffic is now mobile only. So 
yeah, that was crazy, crazy yeah. numbers. Yeah, they said, um, and daily mobile user count is up 7.4% from 609 million to 654 million. So, look, they're literally going to be uh, running out of humans on the planet soon to uh, connect. So, uh, that, that's why they're so desperately buying up companies uh, left, right and center to try and, you know, get uh, squeeze more out of the, the planet, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it was it's it sort of shows that their their mobile strategy is paying off as well. I mean, a, a few years ago, you know, they were putting a lot of effort into it, and nobody was really really doing much in the mobile space, and they they were quite innovative in in many ways, and the amount um, that they invested into it. So, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting to see that paying off, and um, you know, seeing how much the company's changed. Um, I mean, thinking about my own usage of Facebook, I mean, I definitely use it much more on mobile now than I do on the web. You know, so it's very rarely I would actually access it on the web. They've done a they've done a fantastic job with their mobile app as well. It's really improved a lot over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they've got this whole ecosystem going now, on now of Messenger and all their other bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting what they're managing to do there. Yeah, uh, TechCrunch um, has a nice revenue net profit graph of uh, f- Facebook's numbers. And what's really interesting is their revenue, or as we call their turnover here, is is quite a nice linear progression up quarter on quarter. But if you actually look at their net profits, um, as recently as 2012, they were making a loss. But then they flipped into pro- into profit in the last quarter of 2012, and then the profit just really starts accelerating in, in more of a logarithmic type of fashion. So really quite interesting to see. Just a, if you're interested in startups and uh, business models, it's a real classic technology play of that, that hockey stick J-curve profit kicking in, and that's why investors love companies like this. So um, Facebook uh, continues continues to march on. Absolutely, yeah. No, they can't do no wrong right now. Um, if I remember correctly, you weren't that bullish on the shares some some time back, were you? <laughs> Look, I have to admit, I, I was maybe a little bit wrong. So they're doing they're doing very well, um, and they seem to um, they seem to take whatever challenge hits them. And compared to sort of some other companies like Twitter that seem to be found uh, floundering a little bit, um, no, they're definitely sort of taking on their challenges and um, doing some amazing stuff with it. So, no, I'm definitely much more um, much more in Facebook's camp now than I used to be. Their share hit a all-time high after these results of about seventy-five dollars. I think they're about back down to about seventy-one or seventy-two, but they they touched seventy-five. So uh, that's a long way, I think, from their low of about seventeen. So anyone who got in at seventeen is uh, you know smiling, happy. So this is the crazy world of, of tech stocks. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's um, I mean it's crazy now that they're sort of their valuation. What is it that they're what is it like half of? Google or a quarter of Google now? Their market cap? I'm, I'm not exactly yeah. sure. Um, is it as much as that? I thought I read somewhere that it was some some crazy high number like that. Yeah, it was definitely, it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's not at, at that level, but it's sort of in the ballpark now. It's getting getting there. So. In, interesting, Bitcoin seems to, um, the volatility of Bitcoin seems to have reduced of late. Um, yeah, I haven't actually been paying very much attention to it. Do you know what the current price is? Um, I think it was 600. Let me just pull it up here. Um, Bitcoin price, 641 Australian dollars. Um, but the volatility seems to have paid uh, a sort of, you know, it seems to be um, sort of continuing in a range, which which will be interesting if it does get to that 
that's that stable point so um yeah uh, the only reason i brought it up is i know you've been very bullish on on bitcoin and i'm very bullish on the bitcoin platform uh, i'm not sure about the currency but the platform is uh definitely uh, a very very interesting technology yeah 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 i mean it does look um once it does stabilize i mean that does mean that a lot more interesting things can happen with it it's much more um accessible for businesses to use so yeah no that's that's great if that's that's the way it's going to go if it is going to stick around the 600 um, us dollar mark then then yeah it's very good good for, good for everybody um amazon released a phone recently i haven't had a chance to um, look at much about it um what's uh, what are all the the phone junkies and the the tech people saying about the amazon phone what's it called the fire yeah so it's called the amazon fire um so it's their their attempt at making a um a phone i guess um and the way amazon does it is is they kind of <laughs> do what they do with the kindle which is throw everything in there and see what sticks i think um, so it's got some interesting, um, a couple of core interesting features. Uh, one of them is it actually comes with six cameras. Um, so it's got the usual front and back camera and then an additional four um, kind of infrared cameras around the screen. Um, and the point of those are to accurately track your face and, and what it's doing. Um, and the idea there is is that it's uh, much more accurate. It's sort of giving that kind of parallax effect. Um, so if you move your phone around, then then you can kind of see around corners a little bit better. Um, so the idea is, I mean, they obviously do interesting stuff with that on things like the home screen, um, and it will enable developers and games and that kind of stuff to do some interesting um, work with it. Um, but the way Amazon are using it as well within the phone is they're actually using it as a way of navigation. So. If you want to sort of get sort of additional menus, then you would tilt your phone to the left. Or if you want to sort of get like the weather, then you tilt your phone down. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's an interesting attempt at navigation. Um, I mean, it's had very mixed reviews. Um, I think the new navigation metaphor hasn't really stuck particularly well with most people um, because it does hide away a lot of information, um, which you know, makes it clean, but it also means that when you get the phone, you're kind of just squiggling it all around like a, like a maniac trying to find out everything because um, it's all sort of hidden away and every every little bit does something new. Um, so there's obviously a challenge they're going to have. It's, you know, if enough people use the phone, then then they can get over that, that problem. But um, it's obviously a bit of a teething issue. Um, and the other really interesting part of the phone is this thing called um, Firefly, I believe. Um, and the way this works is if you point your phone at anything, so in theory, you know, your, your shoes or, or saucepan or, you know, any, any packet you've bought, a book, whatever, um, the, fire, uh, the Firefly can identify what it is um, and then give you a link on Amazon to, to purchase it or give you additional information about it. Um, so it's kind of this sort of like semi-AI, you know, virtual world-ish type thing. Um, sort of bringing the power of Amazon to um, to your phone, to your hand. Shazam um, for everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Shazam for everything. But, um, I mean, currently the view reviews are a bit mixed. I mean, as you would expect, this kind of technology, it's um, it's a little bit hit or miss still. Um, and unfortunately, these kind of tools, you know, kind of live and die by their success, um, you know, their, their accuracy. Um, and, you know, once you get a few false positives, then... Um, you know, if it identifies your shoes as a phone or whatever, then um, 
then you know people are going to sort of doubt the the accuracy of it very quickly and stop using it. So, and that seems to be the way it's currently going. But um, I'd imagine it's the kind of thing they continue working on, and um, as more people use the device as well, I'd imagine it would get better at detecting this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it's, it sounds like it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, I definitely would like to try one out myself, but I can't see myself actually going out and purchasing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you love Amazon, it's probably the perfect phone for you since it's so integrated with all, their, all of their services. They um, some of their numbers came out as well, and uh, they they had a uh, an unexpected big loss. I haven't read uh, in detail on what's happening with them, but of course, Amazon are very famous for for just you know, saying to everyone, we're not interested in our own numbers. We're building out, you know, 6,000-year company and uh, just let us go into our things. So. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's amazing they've managed to, you know, accomplish this. I mean, it's obviously, it's not, it's not easy building hardware like this that's so, um, you know, in such a competitive market. Um, and, you know, the fact they've got as far as they have is, is quite impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's also the same thing with the Kindle as well. It took a few iterations before it became really good. Um, and I'd imagine the same thing's going to happen with this phone. So um, it's, maybe it's not necessarily exciting for what it is now, but, you know, for what these things, these features could become in the future is where the, where the value really lies. I want to Kindle, right? Like, I want to Kindle that's like a book. But really like a book. Like I'm not talking about electronic pages. paper. I'm talking about papyrus pages that I can actually <laughs> flip and then I can dog ear and sort of over time they get a bit weathered and worn. And like because my brain is still struggling. Like I just I read a huge amount and I just still I'm, love having that book. I'm pretty sure that already exists. It's called a book. <laughs> But the problem is the great. The big problem is when you travel. A Kindle is just so fantastic. But I just still yeah, you can't take it. Yeah. I, I just still can't break that. I, I just somehow am still struggling, and I find myself still buying books and carrying heavy books around with me. And uh, you know, there, there's there's, yeah, there's there's something there's something about the form factor of it that makes it quite unique. Having having a book in your hand as opposed to a, a device. And I'm sure there's there's got to be a way we can bring together the two but then maybe maybe uh yeah maybe i'm actually finally starting to get old and you know becoming a bit <laughs> in my ways yeah i mean i used to the one the one place where i used to read like physical things rather than digital things was um on planes but um now the battery life's getting better and um you know in us and canada at least you can use your phone throughout the entire journey or your, your device um actually no longer no longer buy magazines at all now so that's um it's slowly going out of my life so they um in the u.s now they they don't make you switch off the phone during takeoff and landing no the entire the entire journey you have to have it on flight mode but you can have any um any handheld electronic device on providing it's secured you can't have a laptop on you have to have that off right. for now um, but you obviously you can use it during during the flight and stuff. But during takeoff and landing, anything that's handheld, you can use um, throughout the entire journey. It actually changed fairly recently, I think. Actually, it wasn't. It's only been in the past um, past few months, I think, at least in Canada and um, and the US. So yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's good. What it makes about, a big difference. Wh when do they switch on the Wi-Fi on the plane? Do they only switch it on when it's uh, in the air? 
Yeah, that's still. I think it's still got to be like ten thousand feet for satellite coverage. So yeah, that still still only works in some some um, some parts of the trip. Right. I actually believe it's terrestrial coverage, but I think it's um, it's some technology that you know triangulates something or other. But it's uh, apparently in or in the U.S. at least the that GoGo service apparently are terrestrial. Um, oh really? Base stations. Oh okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the, over the announcement, they always say stuff like for satellite reasons or something. But no, you're probably right. It probably is terrestrial. Yeah, I think I think some of the international flights. Sense. I know some of the international, like uh, Japan Airlines and Lufthansa, have some uh, um, connectivity on the international flights. I think those are satellite. But I think though that yeah. GoGo service is the terrestrial one. Anyway. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Otherwise, they could offer it on international flights. Um, it is episode 42 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We're going to take a short break. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Um, tell your friends about us. Um, we are getting some emails about people who want to be on the show, which is great. If you're interested in being interviewed, um, email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com or find us. You know how to find us. We're taking a short break, and we'll be back with the interview um, with Barbara Gray, who's the equity an analyst and founder of Brady Capital Research, um, after the break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to the tech economy, um, technology, economics, the merger of the two. And of course, there's a couple of big brands that continually make the press in our industry, and a couple of them are Airbnb, which has recently... Um, um, reworked its logo and causing a lot of uh, chatter in the in the Twitter sphere. Um, another company is Uber, which has uh, been around for a few years um, in the states and in Australia, where uh, Manage Flutter and, and the podcast is based. It's it's starting to make waves. And I stumbled upon a great analysis on LinkedIn um, a couple of months ago. An article entitled Social Capital, The Secret Behind Airbnb and Uber. And does a fantastic, this article does a fantastic breakdown of the collaborative economy, social capital, the different type of companies um, in the social economy. And so I made it my business to track down the author of the article who's based in Canada. And I'm happy to say at the end of my Skype line, end of my phone line, I have Barbara Gray, who is the equity analyst and founder of Brady Capital Research. Barbara, really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Kevin. So, Barbara, you've done you've done research for a little while in this area of um, social capital and um, and social media's impact on the investment process, and you've you've had an interest in this area for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a, I'm an equity analyst by training, so I used to be a sell side analyst, and in 2010, I started thinking about you know what I wanted to do. And I went with my husband on a two-and-a-half-month road trip around the States. We, we got engaged on the trip. And on it, we went to the uh, South by Southwest Conference. 
and then also the 140-pound conference um, in New York City. And it was then that I really got exposed to this new world of social media. And I realized it was really going to be an exposing, deceptive force. And what was interesting is there were no, the financial community was not at any of the, at those two conferences. This was so um, the analytical, South by Southwest 2010. 2010 right? Yes. Yeah, the interactive uh, version, not, not the music and the, uh, and the film festival. This is more the business part. Um, but it was, it was quite a departure because I'm used to going to uh, CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst Conferences, where people dress in business suits. You know, they had Blackberries at the time. And here I go to this, and everyone's got iPhones. They're dressed in T-shirts and jeans. And we actually camped when we went to this because we were <laughs> camping on our road trip. So it was, it was a very different experience. But I realized, I'm like, wow. And what's ironic, and, and I actually didn't put the two and two together until last month, but at this conference, people were talking about Airbnb and TaskRabbit. But it's only now four years later after I've done all this research and sort of started at the bottom of the social economy, social economy pyramid and worked my way up that I actually realized that ten, four years ago, I actually heard about um, the social sharing companies. So... I mean, now the investment community is all over these these social sharing, collaborative economy. Um, it's it's almost reached a point very quickly of we can't imagine we can't imagine a world without these apps. Um, is it? I mean, is it the coming together of technology um, and the market need? What has been what has been the drivers for 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 these companies reaching a critical mass so quickly? Right. I think there's a, sort of three drivers. And the way you look at it, and actually in my, one of my first research reports, I looked at it. You can look at companies in terms of three layers. The first being functional, which, which is really the shell. And if you look at the, social, the sharing economy company, you know, the shell aspect is really like the utility value proposition. And what enabled the sharing economy is tech on the technology front is social media platforms, um, LinkedIn, tech, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and then also mobile apps and the rise in the penetration of, of mobile phones, smartphones. And then on the other side, the recession. Um, most of these companies were started after 2008, and, and people really, out of desperation, you know, needed to come together and start to share assets to provide personal services and find a way to get paid, um, not going through the corporate, sort of the corporate hierarchy. I think um, that, the second level, yeah. Sorry, just to, 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 I think that's a really interesting point that people forget about 2008. I remember going to some of the TechCrunch conferences in 2008, and literally I was there when the September where where things really unraveled, and so many of the um, experienced entrepreneurs just said, this is a good thing. Um, in, in, in recessions, some of the most fantastic companies are built. So that's a really interesting point that these companies all came out of that, that 2008 period. Exactly. And it's interesting because when you're going through it at the time, you don't really realize that. You know, when I heard about um, Airbnb back in 2010, you know, I was used to staying at boutique hotels. So, you know, that, that didn't really appeal to me. Um, but... You know these companies have have really gained acceptance and, and moved up the curve and 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 now people look at them and they're like, wow, it's quite outstanding. And actually, I listened to their online uh, event today when they unveiled their new Velo symbol, and it was that's powerful. And I love how they say we, you know, this is our social mission. This is what we stand for. And and it's interesting because in my article I wrote about how these companies are going to transform. You know, the way we travel, the way we. 
uh, live, work, play, and consume. But I think Airbnb, you know, they've got a great mission. They really want to transform society. Look, it's um, wonderful that so many of uh, the companies in our industry are, are very much driven to to change the world. Not only n- not only the the sort of uh, fiduciary, not not only the profit side of things. Um, so, what do you think of the new logo, Barbara? I love it. I think it's really really neat, and I think what the really cool aspect of it is, and if you think about in my article, I talk about the three social value drivers being advocacy connection and collaboration, that logo and the way they're going about it really uh, captures all of that because, you know, it's advocacy. That logo tells about the company's social mission, belong anywhere. Um, In terms of connection, they're encouraging all their hosts to put this, to personalize the logo, customize it, and, and, and share it with people. And then collaboration the, uh, they're now allowing their community to post their stories about staying in Airbnb using that logo as sort of a way to identify themselves. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, just to digress just a little bit before I want to talk about your three levels of companies that operate in the social economy, Uber, I, I'm particularly fascinated by, and I, a question to you, do you think Uber is actually a data play? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, Google's a big investor via their, um, you know, their corporate VC fund, Google Ventures in Uber. They're obviously going to get a huge amount of data from all these Uber trips. Do you think that is uh, Google's long play by by any chance, the data that's driven, that's going to be generated and, and captured from the Uber service? That's a good, that's a good question. I actually honestly didn't think about that. Um, Uber's interesting because they don't really have a social mission. I think they're more set, setting out to disrupt and, and, and annihilate, you know, the taxi taxi cartels, if you will. Um, so I haven't thought about about Google, but I mean, Uber is definitely um, technology play, and it's allowing incredible convenience for people. But I haven't thought about it in terms of the data, data um, aspect. You know, I came to that conclusion by just pondering and pondering as why Google has taken such a large stake in, in Uber when it seems to be um, not that of a defensive business on the technology side of things. And, um, you know, even if they do get to change the laws, it means, that, you know, other people will be able to benefit from those laws as well. And that was the only conclusion I could come to is that Google seeing something that's, that's, that I can't see. But any, that, that was just a thought. So uh, be interested in staying in touch and, and your further thoughts on that. But let's let's go back to your... Um, let, let's go back to some of your thoughts in your article where you say um, there are three levels of companies that operate in the social economy and the higher a company moves up the social economy pyramid, the faster the rate of value acceleration as they are able to achieve a higher level of disruption and access multiple social value drivers. A big mouthful there, but a really interesting analysis, particularly when you throw in some of the examples in each category. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting because the social this article really captures the last four years of work I've done um, researching and developing my own social capital investment basis. And so the way I started out was I started writing capital research because I wanted to focus on companies making a positive difference in the world. And I wasn't really enamored with the concept of social responsible investing because most of it at the time was about negative screening. You know, look for companies that aren't sinful, you know, that aren't doing bad things. 
because I'm an optimist. You know, as an analyst, you're trained to basically, you have to see the opportunities in things because if you write all sell, all, all uh, companies with a sell recommendation, you'll, you'll get fired. So, you know, you have to be able to, to see the positive side of things and see the opportunity. And so I started looking for companies that had sort of this social mission or what I called at the time a greater purpose. And these companies, the four companies, uh, Lululemon, Chipotle, Mexican Grill, Whole Foods Market, and Starbucks, um, they were the ones that I that I really loved. And what's, what's interesting is I thought I could create a whole portfolio of these companies with a social mission, but I looked and I scanned through, you know, the 2,000 companies um, that were listed on exchange, and, and the reality is most companies do not have a social mission. Most companies are basically focused on uh, Friedman's shareholder maximization principle, and they really only care about profit. So your first category. So in order to yeah. so, mm-hmm. s- s- sorry, go Barbara. Oh, that's okay. Um, so in terms of so in terms of the social value driver, you know, with so I, I was looking at that, and then I was looking at social media. So I, so I told you I did that road trip with my husband, and I sort of saw the came up with the idea that the companies that would really be able to leverage social media are those that have a strong base of advocates, and the ones that have a strong base of advocates are those companies that actually stand for something because their customers, their employees, their suppliers, their business partners, uh, their communities all see that they are all psychologically attached to what the company stands for. So it's at a really deep level. And most companies um, can't access that. So they have to say, like us on Facebook, you know, they have to tweet about discounts and promotions. Whereas these companies, you know, they have real advocates. I think um, I think Whole Foods is a case in point with myself. Is uh, we don't have Whole Foods in Australia, and uh, I travel to the US quite frequently. And I, I am so passionate about Whole Foods. I joke with my friends that I, I literally, if I could live in a Whole Foods, I would live in a Whole Foods. It's just their whole branding, the the feel, the service, the their the, the ethos is just is palpable. So I, I really understand what you're saying um, around the, the social mission that's just embedded in everything mm-hmm. that they do. Exactly. It's, it's basically what's embedded in the DNA of the founder. Um, and so that's why these companies are so powerful. So you've broken them down into social mission companies such as Starbucks and Whole Foods, um, the social marketplace companies like LinkedIn and Zillow, um, Mm-hmm. And the third category, so, which is, 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 sorry, go. Oh, sorry. So in terms of the social marketplace, so, I mean, as I said, you know, this pyramid really um, describes my journey. So back in 2012, I started looking at LinkedIn um, because I, you know, I was one of, I, I think I used it. I think I signed up for the first time back in 2007. Um, my husband actually introduced me to it because he was a big, a big social media guy. And I remember at the time I sent out to my, um, my institutional clients, the guys that, and billions of dollars, and, and they said, what is this? And I said, well, it's sort of like Facebook for professionals. Um, because at the time, you know, people didn't really know what LinkedIn was. But I, what I loved about, and what I still love about that company is that they really empower professionals um, to take charge of their careers. And, you know, I'm, I'm a perfect example because, you know, bootstrapping Brady Capital Research, I work out of a coffee shop, you know, I don't have access to a sales and trading desk like I had before. So the ability to use LinkedIn to reach out to people and just for you and I to connect, it's, it's quite incredible. And now that they've given um, all professionals or they're rolling out 
access to the publishing platform, it's so powerful. And, you know, you don't really need the media anymore because you don't have to, you don't have to get your article in a newspaper. You can just publish on LinkedIn and, and the right people can find you. I'm looking at your article now that has 2,448 likes, 252 comments, and has been seen by nearly 400,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite amazing. And just for reference, um, with Rate of Capital Research, so I put out a, a paper in January, which you know I spent quite a bit of time on I thought was, was quite good. It was uh, called The Fallacy of the Shareholder um, Maximization Business Model. And for all of January and February, we got a total of 400 visitors to Brady Capital Research. So it really shows you the powerful, the power of LinkedIn's um, platform. And of course, there's been over eight and a half thousand shares. So that's what's really drives it. That's why that's where you get the extra traffic from is that that virality of telling a friend, telling a friend, telling a friend, which where exactly. these platforms then, are just and, so and extremely totally. powerful. And the nice thing about it is that. Um, you know, people in the newspaper, you don't really get to see who, you know, who, you can't really connect with those people that, that read your article on LinkedIn. You know, I have the ability now to go out and reach out to any of those people that like my article. Um, I can respond to any of the comments. And so that I have over 3,300 followers. Um, it's kind of overwhelming, especially when, you know, you're just on your, I have my, my one associate. Um, but it's, it's quite amazing. Well, I would have never discovered this article, and it's just—it's just such a fan- fantastic article that it's—it's—it's—it's um, uh, it's, it's, it's a really uh, brilliantly classic piece of a succinct, uh, robust, really insightful article. So uh, you, you deserve all the kudos you've been getting for this article. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so just quickly, we got the social mission companies, Starbucks, Whole Foods. We talk about the social marketplace companies as LinkedIn and Zillow as we go up the pyramid. And then the social sharing companies such as Airbnb and Uber, which have a social mission and are also social marketplaces and able to access all three social value drivers, adv- advocacy, connection, and collaboration. Right. And and this is key because um, companies like LinkedIn and Zillow are, are amazing, but they don't create direct linking social capital um, between the buyer and the seller. Um, and that's what companies like Airbnb and Uber do. And that's what's so powerful about them. Because not only um, are these companies disrupting on the demand side, they're disrupting on the supply side. And that is key, and that's something we've never, ever seen before. Now, are some of the companies in the other categories, are they positioned to move up the chain? Um, can LinkedIn, uh, I mean, LinkedIn has got its uh, HR side of things with jobs, which I guess is a bit of a marketplace. Well, it is a marketplace. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great question. And I actually um, emailed the IR people at all the companies and, when I, and I sent them a copy of this article and, and showed them my insights on how they could actually move up the, um, the social economy pyramid. I haven't heard back from any uh, for suggestions companies in terms of <laughs> in terms of strategy, so um, not sure what but but that definitely is. And I think the big thing is is the foundation companies need to have a foundation. You know, they need to have the social mission and they need to be uh, connected in terms of either Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Facebook. And but then if they can figure out some way to um, to tap into 
a supply side and then a demand side and, and figure out how to actually take a percentage cut, whether it be a, a, trans, a commission, a fee, or a, a subscription service or something for connecting the two, that's huge. And, and you know, LinkedIn could potentially do it. I mean, it would be wonderful if LinkedIn could provide a way for professionals because that's so the 300 members are professionals, um, you know, to connect with people that have money, you know, either the companies or whatever, and, and provide their services. And I think that's the future of where things so, are going. So almost like um, AngelList would be a good strategic acquisition for LinkedIn. Mm, okay, I'm not, I'm not thinking of in terms of the in terms of the equity crowdfunding. I was thinking more in terms of like a project basis. You know, so if a company read my article, and they're like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I'd like to, uh, to talk with her or whatever. Maybe she'd come in and consult with us for an hour or two. You know, if you could do that direct transaction through LinkedIn, that would be incredible. Right. So, so, so almost like um, a sort of a, a, a granular, a, a, a sort of really granular sort of aspect of work. So, in in a way, like Odesk, but almost for professionals. Exactly. Is that what's... Yeah. Like basically, um, you know, task rabbit is for unskilled laborers, right? If you could do it for skilled for skilled professionals. That would be that would be uh, would be very interesting. Of course, a, lo a lot of complex dynamics, but uh, but th they've definitely got the platform and the foundation LinkedIn to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Barbara, I know I know you pushed for time. You you're juggling a professional life and family life, but just um, Brady Capital Research. Um, what um, what do you folks um, or, or or you you know do what your service offering? Um, you know, if people are interested in, in finding out more about what you do, how can they, uh, you, you know, uh, get in touch, etc.? Um, yeah, you can come and visit our website. It's uh, www.bcap.com. And just in terms of disclosure, um, we we do own her. <laughs> My husband and I, uh, you know, have, have uh, shares in the companies of um, of those companies that we have discussed. So just to, just as a disclosure, that because his man left you. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, um, Zillow, Little Lemon, Chipotle, Whole Foods, and Starbucks. That's our portfolio. Um, Airbnb, of course, is not, is no, not uh, public no, yet. No. Lululemon's Lule, Lule, Lule an interesting company, but we'll save that chat for another day. Of course, it's a Canadian darling, isn't it? Isn't it from Vancouver or Toronto? Yeah, the head office is, is here. It's just across the bridge from where I'm sitting. Okay, great. Um, so, um, I mean, do, do you offer uh, research to institutions or individuals or have funds or what, um, what, what do you offer? Because uh, your analysis is pretty good. I'm sure you're going to have a few people interested in, in some of your other bits and pieces. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, to be quite honest, um, even though I actually used to be a top-ranked uh, equity analyst, I've really just been giving away my research for the last, uh, last four years and trying to build a platform and trying to figure out where I can add value. Um, I actually just put out a research report on Zillow. Um, I think the the online real estate company. What's the what's the comparable one in Australia? Is that what's the name of that one? You know we. You know, we don't really have a, a Zillow equivalent. Um, we've got a few companies that provide real estate research, but they're more so like IP data, etc. But they, they, they're more a bit of old school type of pay for information um, real estate companies. We don't really have a Zillow equivalent here yet. Okay. I know where James Packer is invested. Uh, he's one of, the, one of the key shareholders in, in Zillow. So they do 
um, they do see the value in it. Anyways, it's interesting because I, I put out this report uh, uh, back in April, and, and if any of your listeners want a copy of it, I'd be happy to send it to them. Um, it's a 35-page in-depth report. It took me about six months to write, so it wasn't wasn't a <laughs> wasn't a short report. Um, but what's interesting is the stock was 91 bucks when I uh, published on it, and it is now at about 130 bucks today. So it's it's performed quite a quite amazing. Wow. But what I think it really goes to is that, um, you know, it's it's the social value drivers. That's what people don't see, and that's what's so powerful, and and that's what's exciting. So um, right now, what I'm doing is I'm looking at the social sharing companies, and I'm hoping to put out a an in-depth report in the early fall because I think I think I can add a lot of value there. I hope I can. Um, with my with my research background, trying to cre- create a more systematic way to look at these companies. In terms of how are they six, dis- mm-hmm. six months is a long time for a report. That's uh, that's real dedi- uh, real dedication. Yeah, you know what? But it's if you're if you're truly um, you know love researching companies, that's that's my passion is working as an analyst. And it's not very often I come across companies where I'm so intrigued with the business model. Um, so it's it's you know it's it's exciting to do that every day, and uh, and I like to do a good job. So. I've, I've been trying to do that. I can sense your, your passion about the industry. We live in interesting times in an interesting industry. Quick last question. Any, um, any interesting stocks that you are following that you think people that are interested in stocks um, you, are, are worth keeping an eye on? Um, the one I, I continue to like, Zillow has done incredibly well. So it, it's gone up actually above my target price. Um, LinkedIn, I think, is, is an incredible company. And I think... Analysts are not giving them credit for the um, well for their publishing platform because it does not create any revenue yet. So with analysts, you know, if something doesn't create revenue, it's hard for them to assign a multi- evaluation multiple to it. But it's it's pretty powerful, and I, I seriously think they're going to be very very disruptive on that front. And they actually just acquired a company called Newsly, which is the one that allows you to see what your connections are up to. So they just continue to build and, and add value and empower their users. And I think it's awesome. Um, quick outlook on Twitter and Facebook. Any opinions on um, their share value at the moment? Uh, any upside left or, or any other opinions? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. No, I looked at, I looked at um, researching. I, I, I did a bit of research on Facebook. The only thing, what I like about LinkedIn better is that LinkedIn's greater purpose or their mission is to empower professionals um, to basically, in terms of their career, and their revenue drivers are from the uh, recruiting side, right? So if a recruiter calls you, you're not going to be upset. You know, you'll actually be quite happy if a recruiter calls to offer you a better job. Um, the problem with Facebook and Twitter and advertising-dependent uh, social market social platforms is that it's not exactly in line with their, their mission. And, and so that is, uh, that's, that's why I prefer Zillow and LinkedIn. That's a fantastic discussion to have some time about, you know, the, in Silicon Valley, there's always been a, you know, one of the, the, the criticisms that um, you have all those fantastic people, smart people, fantastic companies, and what are they focused on doing mainly? Selling advertising. It's a little bit deflating in a way. Mm-hmm. And of course, the big one being Google that earns, I don't know what it is now, 98, 95% of its money based on advertising. So that's a really fascinating point that it's, it's, it's almost inherently 
depending on your philosophy of advertising, etc., misaligned with the social mission. Right, and that's what I like about Zillow because you know their whole, the way they make money is by um, through their subscriber base of platinum premier agents, and you know their their mission is to um, lead a revolution in online real estate to empower consumers, and so you know they're actually doing that through their revenue drivers. So it's it's very consistent. And I think that's a good way you can look at companies um, that a lot of people don't seem to do. Barbara, um, I really appreciate your time. We, we've, we've kept you. I know, I know you're juggling a lot there. But with Barbara Gray, equity analyst and founder of Brady Capital Research, fascinating discussion. I hope we can pick it up sometime in the future and, um, and let's talk again. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. That was really fun. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You know, James, I don't like to make generalizations or stereotypes, and I'm always a bit nervous bringing up this topic of the gender politics of the of in general and the gender politics of the tech industry, but... Um, over the last couple of years, I've met um, some women in the, that are analysts, that are in the private equity world, that are in the venture capital world, in the, inter- the tech entrepreneurial world. And boy, it's, it's um, just meeting some super, super, super smart people. And it's, uh, it's, maybe it's a little bit Darwinian in that if there is this patriarchal status quo, that the ones that do punch through that are just uh, uh, real fighters and super smart. Barbara's uh, um, article is really a terrific article. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was um, it was quite interesting to read through. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the, these um, these companies that do have that social mission, you know, have you know other people kind of um, leading their banner. Um, and it is a very interesting way to look at look at um, the the ecosystem. Um, it's interesting. There's uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Whole Foods, and in one of the Sydney suburbs, there's a, a brand called About Life, and they've just opened up a huge new store near the city and they clearly have tried to mimic whole foods but what's really interesting is you you really see how um small things make such a big difference they just don't Mm -hmm. they don't get anywhere near and 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 whereas they do a lot of the same things they'll have chalkboards with special offers and they try to display their food in the same way it just it's 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 lacking a lot of the small details that make up to the big picture Mm, what are some of the stuff that they, they miss? Um, quite hard to articulate. I mean, definitely on the service side as well. I mean, and that might also just mm. be an American thing where American service compared to, um, you know, some Australian services is fantastic, the American service. So it's definitely that, that service and that excitement um, that just doesn't have that buzz when you, when you walk into it. Um, and a lot of the other things are just um, nothing really tangible that I can I can uh, I'd really have to reflect on it and think a bit more about it. But mm. look, it's also their first iteration, and I'm sure they'll get better better. And the cost structures in Australia are so different and so much harder with high labor costs, high land to, you know rental costs. So it's 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 definitely different cost structures to the U.S. But um, you know to have mm. these companies that are very emotive 
particularly in the tangible world, um, is, is actually a very hard thing to do. That's why I take my hat off to companies like Apple and Whole Foods and, and even Starbucks, which is not popular in Australia, but in the States it is. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting that um, more companies don't have these kind of, um, you know, social missions and, and social values. Um, it's... Um, uh, you know, is it quite? I found it quite interesting when she was saying she researched and you know looked through looked through all these companies and couldn't really find any other examples. Um, it, it does seem like a you know a clever way to kind of market yourself, and then plus you get a great company out of it as well. I think I think it's probably quite hard to align um, a social mission with a profit as well. Like for, like you know, she made a fantastic mm-hmm. point about Twitter and Facebook that their social mission. Is, is not aligned with their commercial mission in a way. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're pulling in opposite directions. And that's, that's obviously, and I, as I mentioned in the interview, that's, that's, a, that's a quite a constant criticism of the, the ad um, revenue models that they do sometimes pull in different directions. And, and that's why uh, yeah, Barbara is such a fan of LinkedIn because it's, it's, it's so much easier um, to be aligned. I think, I think, though, I mean, in criticism of, of you know, just to take you know the other hat i think social missions can be they also don't have to be as dramatic as saving the world you know i mm. think i think if you help people day to day with something in in a way that's a social mission you know and that's a reason for the business existing if you if you're literally selling a great sandwich to someone at lunchtime you're not saving the world but uh, you're making a hun- hungry person very happy so I think, I think a lot of businesses we can all reflect. Um, you know, if you're adding value, and that's what it comes down to. In 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 a way, by definition, um, that is some sort of social mission. What do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think what it comes down to in terms of like social capital is is the easier that is to sell than the better that sells your business. If that's that's probably a weird way to say it, but. Um, you know, the more more people can kind of latch onto it and make it their own thing that they talk about at the company uh, that they can sort of you know um, espouse sort of the benefits of the company, and that that really helps in sort of today's connected world to to grow that value. Um, and I think think that's that's something that's really interesting um, with some of these companies. I mean, when I think about it, you know, companies like Uber, um, you know, it is something I do talk about with people because they do have an interesting. Um, you know, value proposition that's, that's you know, if they succeed, it does mean that the world kind of gets a little bit better. Um, and it is something, it is a reason that I do want to sort of, you know, talk about them. So, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think the larger scale stuff does, does lead to some interesting consequences in today's world. But do you think it's just a marketing, um, you know, a marketing branding story that they get very right or it is intrinsically a game changer because I mean you, you take Uber for example now yes you, you know in a way it is disruptive but in a way it's just doing something that exists a lot better it's actually not that disruptive in a way it's not it's not uh, flying cars <laughs> um, yeah maybe 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 they maybe they are just doing it just just so well that it seems like it's something entirely new um, Maybe that is maybe that is part of the value, but I mean, I don't know. It's such it's such a big pain point that nobody's really solved. Um, that it does almost feel, um, it yeah, 
it does feel like it's something entirely new. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. It's a good point. Make, making me think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think you know, and I think this is where you know execution is what matters so well. I almost think if someone would come up with a plumbing company, but just put some interesting tech around it, you know, an Uber for plumbers and brand it up and story it up, and then it, you'd feel like these guys are just changing the world by making sure that everyone who wants hot water gets it type thing, you know. <laughs> and maybe there's just with opportunity. No the cold shower. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? No one should have a cold shower. In this. And, and maybe this is a lesson for all businesses just thinking out aloud that, that we all can tell our story better. I mean, um, you know, one of, one of my friends who works in the industry said to me after listening to the podcast that we don't share enough of, of our own experience and um, – um, in, in building a startup on the podcast and you know on Manage Flitter we've 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 constantly get people saying I sit on your product the whole day and you're saving me so much time and so much effort and and since I started using your product you know Twitter came to life and all these things and and maybe we don't even tell our story enough you know we're helping people use Twitter smarter and faster and 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 giving them time back that they can spend with their children because Twitter aren't providing these tools for a variety of reasons so you know where's how can our story be improved manage for that spend more time with your kids well <laughs> but yeah no, I there you, go. <laughs> you know we actually we actually yeah we actually a, a company um trying to you know help families yeah that's our that's our goal <laughs> um but yeah I, no it is it is a very good point it is a very good point um do you think uber's a diet to play Oh, in in that that's what their that's what their aim is in terms of final revenue or well as I said um, you know in the interview that that it's Uber's really not much of a defensible business in in many ways um, you know the tech's not that deep that you know they've executed well but um, is the data what's going to make them a defensible business and that's and Google has invested via Google Ventures into into um, Uber. I'm, I mean, I, I would probably disagree on the defensible side. I mean, I think it's, I think it is super hard to build out what they're they're building. Um, I mean, in order to have um, a system where you can provide transport like that, you have to have the, um, you have to have the um, the pr provision of the cars and all of the drivers and all all of that stuff. Um, and in order to, you have to have like the acceptance. You have to have the people using the community. You have to have that whole ecosystem of both um, consumers and providers, and you have to sort of drive that. Um, and it's obviously not sort of like a plug-and-play thing. The fact it's so hard for Uber to build that up in each city um, means it's going to be, you know, I guess equally hard for any other company. Um, so, I mean, no, I, I still think it's, it's just in the core, you know, that they want to get people to places better than they've been able to get to places in the past type thing. Um, I mean, in the long run, obviously, they, they want to move into the you know driverless cars arena as well, which is a very interesting play for them if they build this up as the if they become sort of the default transportation company. Then, um, you know, then then driverless cars actually fits really well with that with that model, um, and so nobody's going to be owning a car in the future. We're all going to be just using Uber to you know to get our driverless cars for a few minutes. So, um, I, I would suspect that's that's their long play to become sort of you know the transportation company. 
I would, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. I think, I think Uber's <laughs> just a, a very, very well executed company, but I think it's nothing nearly as defensible as companies that are, are with that sort of similar valuation um, and even like Airbnb and, and uh, but maybe we'll save, maybe we'll save our debate for another day. We're running out of time. Um, this has been episode 42 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Also, I've always forget to uh, mention that if you want to get an email notification when the latest podcast is up, just hop on the itsamonkey.com site. You can pop in your email address. We only send you the email when the um, podcast is up, so you don't have to think about it. Um, you'll, we don't send any more emails out, just a little notification, so it's a nice way of um, getting updated. Um, we love to hear from you. Um, there's 41 previous episodes you can listen to with all sorts of interesting interviews if you want to be interviewed on the show drop us a line um, hope you're happy and healthy wherever you are and we'll see you again in two weeks um, we may have another guest co-host james you uh, you got some competition these days in the co-host arena yeah i'm definitely having to sit out a little bit so but i listened to Chelsea's podcast she did pretty well so i'm happy for her to take over a little bit yeah it's nice it's nice for our listeners to um have a diversity of voices and uh one day i'll just outsource myself and just have have you two manage it all that's my that's my you know big mission absolutely okay always good to outsource (laughs) exactly okay until next time thanks for joining us james have a good one